Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. With Denver's municipal runoff over, the city finally has a new mayor elect with Mike Johnston winning by a healthy margin. While the results in the mayor's race may not be surprising, results in the city council runoff elections saw one incumbent progressive edged out in favor of a more moderate candidate, leaving open questions about the political future of Colorado's capital city in the grips of housing turmoil. Tune in as Zach Siegel and Blair Lichtenfels break down the data, share their reactions, and talk about what the results might mean for the future of Denver. Hi, Blair. How are you? I'm good, Zach. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Well, guess what? We've come full circle in our uh, podcast adventure together. Episode one of our podcast uh, a few weeks ago, I guess a couple months ago now really, was on the municipal election in Denver. And we have finally reached the end of the road. And today we're going to recap the runoff election. We finally have uh, a new mayor in Denver, and we also have decisions in three uh, city council races, the winter runoffs. Well, Blair, it's Thursday. Uh, the runoff election was on Tuesday of this week. We have results in all of the four runoff races. Why don't we just start with um, the mayor's race? Was it a surprise? Was it not a surprise to you? Um, so I'm sure everyone listening knows that Mike Johnson is our mayor-elect. Um, he received about 55% of the total vote. A little bit over 163,000 people voted in Denver's mayoral election. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. But as a general matter, I would not say I'm necessarily um, surprised at the result. If, if I'm being perfectly honest, I personally wasn't watching this race as closely because I felt that both candidates were really strong and I thought that both candidates would do great things for Denver. I'm really excited to see what Mike is going to bring to the table and all that he's going to accomplish. I will say that in the days leading up to the actual election, many, many people were saying to me that they thought Mike would for sure win. I thought Kelly ran a great campaign, so I wasn't um, totally sure. But I will tell you, as soon as the clerk and recorder released the result, the, the initial wave of results at 7 p.m. on Tuesday night, and that showed that Mike was ahead, I felt from that point on, I thought it was likely that he would win, just given the fact that Mike could potentially be considered the more progressive candidate. Typically in Denver, we our progressive votes come in later. And so when he won that early vote, I, I felt pretty confident that that was going to be the result when we got the final tally on Wednesday morning. Yeah, I, I had a pretty similar experience, Blair. It's interesting. You know, part of the reason we wanted to record a podcast on the mayor's race way back when, when when we started this podcast was it was dominating our discussions around the office and the discussions we were having with clients in the community that didn't seem like the case to me in the lead off to the runoff and i know we're going to talk about some of the potential reasons there but one of the reasons i think something that i agree with you about is these were just two qualified candidates who were pretty close on the ideological spectrum relative to some of the other candidates that were in the race before the runoff. And I think that actually chilled the amount of time that we all spent talking about the race in the in the lead up to the runoff. You know, it was all that we were talking about. It became less later on. I think there was a general uh, sense that there was a little less excitement around the runoff than I was anticipating. But um, it was still, you know, Interesting to see it shake out, but also agree with you that once the initial ballots came in, 
that was about where I thought the race would end, and that's basically what happened with Mike actually just extending his lead a little bit as some of those maybe more progressive votes rolled in a little later in the evening. What about the council races? Anything surprise you there? Yeah, so sure. We were um, closely watching three council races here. So District 8, it appears that challenger Chantel Lewis will prevail. The current difference is about 356 votes. This is well outside of the threshold, the recount threshold of 37. Um, in District 9, we had challenger Daryl Watson, and he defeated incumbent Councilwoman Candy C. DeBaca. He had about 60% of the vote. I'll get to that in a second. And then in District 10, Councilman Hines, he defeated his challenger. He had about 55% of the total vote. So when you ask me about like surprises, so the, the mayoral race was not necessarily, those results were not necessarily a surprise to me, but both District 9 and 10, and, and I'll touch on 10 first, I think Councilman Hines had a tough challenger, um, and the race was definitely contentious. But I was not necessarily surprised to see him win, although I do think that the the delta between the number of votes that he had and his challenger had was a little bit larger than what I was generally expecting. So for District 9, I'm not going to characterize Daryl Watson's win as a surprise by any sense of the imagination, but the margin of victory was definitely more than I expected. And not hiding the ball. I hosted a fundraiser for Daryl, as did many of my colleagues and clients and friends. And I'm, I'm really just so happy that his hard work paid off. And I really can't wait to see all the great things he's going to do for Denver. Anecdotally, it, it was interesting on social media on Tuesday night, uh, as the results from District 9 came in, they in some ways started to dominate the narrative, even above the mayor's race, which was absolutely fascinating to me. I think holistically, it was maybe not the best night for the progressive candidates in town. One of the more progressive candidates did prevail in District 8, but excluding the mayor's race, which I don't necessarily know that we can characterize that race in the same terms, the more progressive candidates did not do so well. Did that surprise you or was that something that you were expecting? So I'm not going to say whether it surprised me or it didn't surprise me, but I think as a general matter, I don't think that these results were sort of a a rebuff of the, quote, progressive agenda in Denver. I think we live in a blue city in a pretty blue state generally, but I do think that what it reflects is an overall desire from the voting populace, as it may be, that we want our elected officials to work together, to collaborate. We want them to make progress on the issues that matter to us. And the truth of the matter is that moving the needle on anything in the city requires the city council um, as well as the executive branch to work together. And so I think that that's the takeaway that I see from the results. And, and I think I'll say this more as it relates to the, the city council um, results. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you. I think these were pragmatic results from the city of Denver. I think it's a push by the people that live in our city to get real results and real change and with real cooperation from our elected officials. And I think that we are seeing more and more frustration across the board when we don't see our elected officials cooperating with one another. And I think these results were indicative of that for Denver. That was my, that was my experience. I think one of the things that I'm hopeful that we see, so, so everyone knows that we have a strong mayor system in Denver and, um, but The truth of the matter is that the most recent city council in 2020 uh, made some changes that slightly eroded the power of the mayor. And it relates primarily to the mayor's ability to appoint the heads of um, the various departments. 
and, and offices. And so they, the mayor has the opportunity to nominate the heads of many, many different offices. But city council has the right to sort of consent to those nominations. And these include pretty much everyone who runs the city, right? The executive director of Dottie, the manager of finance, the manager of safety, the sheriff, the chief of police, um, that manager of general services, manager of excise and licenses, manager of parks, manager of aviation, manager of um, Denver Department of Public Health and Environment, the city attorney, and the manager of community planning and development. And so the mayor hasn't always had to get the consent of city council to do that. And so that is a place where I'm, I'm hopeful that this group can come together quickly and come to some consensus so that we can have a smooth transition into the new administration and they can start to um, you know, act on the vision of all of the, the elected officials. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting first few months for just that reason. You know, this is the moment in time where we'll see if the new council can cooperate with one another, with the new mayor's administration, to see if there's that transition period can be efficient and effective, um, or if we get stuck in the mud right off the bat, which I know will frustrate uh, a lot of people. Generally speaking, a little bit more diverse city council, uh, six Latinas and the first openly gay man uh, elected to council. So, uh, you know, showing a, a good reflection of our the diversity in our city, which yeah. is pretty cool as well. Very exciting. And I think one thing to note, all of our council members and our mayor will be sworn in on Monday, July 17th. So this all this transition happens very quickly. Yeah. And so on the subject of dates, Blair, I thought it'd be fun to revisit a couple of the topics that we discussed on our very first podcast, uh, specifically the Fair Election Fund, and also just the new regime that we have in place for electing the mayor. One of the things that changed in this mayoral election cycle are the dates involved in the process. So the initial election, the, what we're calling the general election, happened at an earlier date and time than it previously has. The distinction really is that in prior years, the general election occurred in early May. And so there was only really 30 days between the general and the runoff. And here, you, you know, you have all of these candidates getting involved and they had to go to the general more quickly. And then there was a longer period of time between the two. And what what do you think the, some of the impacts potentially could be? Yeah, I, you know, the the turnout was really low on Tuesday night. Uh, the results right now show that 31% of eligible voters or registered voters in the city of Denver participated in the runoff election. That's down 10% from the last mayor's runoff election. Yeah, Denver, uh, we can do better. Yeah, this was a frustrating for both of us uh, to look at. Um, but I wonder if part of that is fatigue. There was a lot of voter fatigue in the lead up to just the general election. I think the number of candidates in the race, which you and I discussed on our very first podcast, made uh, the decision the voters were making a little more complicated and more difficult. And it took some time to really drill down on each of the candidates to understand who they were and the mayor that they would be. And that was a long and involved process for a lot of people. Then to have that process repeat itself, even though there were fewer candidates to choose from for another two months, is a, a lot for folks. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking about is I, I wonder if the fact that 
Kelly and Mike were relatively close ideologically made some folks throw up their hands and say, you know what, it doesn't really matter that much anymore. Both of these people will be a good mayor and I'm I'm not going to participate because they'll both do fine. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a little bit of this fatigue and 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 potentially the impacts of the ideological similarity, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, is seen in the fact that we had greater than normal numbers of early voting, which I think was, was an interesting result. But overall, just not a lot of people making voting decisions about how, you know, the city is going to run and operate, picking up garbage, public safety, all all of these things. And something that we haven't touched on is all of that is in the context of Denver making it incredibly easy for you to vote. Your ballot shows up early. You have plenty of time to fill it up, the, fill it out. The drop boxes are all around the city. The ballot tracks, uh, email notifications are absolutely fantastic. You know, my vote was counted like four hours after my wife dropped our ballots off at the park. You know, it's easy. And so that 31% figure was a little bit disappointing. Agreed. Maybe the Fair Election Fund is also a, a spot that we, we could see some tweaks to in the coming years. What do you think? Certainly many of the candidates that I spoke to sort of leading up to the election who actually participated, I think that we will see some suggested tweaks to the way it works and particularly tweaks on the threshold necessary to enter into the election. Um, And then the access to the amount of money that you have once you sort of get into the election. I think overall, the Fair Election Fund is probably a good thing, although TBD. But in general, I think many of them felt like it was just too easy to get on the ballot and caused a lot of confusion and consternation among the voters. Easy to get on the ballot and also easy to run a pretty credible campaign because of the access to the matching public funds. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see how uh, folks may propose some tweaks around the Fair Election Fund. Um, The other thing that we've touched on briefly in the past is ranked choice voting and whether that might be something that folks are interested in uh, toying with in the city, especially if the Fair Election Fund exists in some capacity going forward, allowing more people to be on the ballot. Because I think that generally speaking, folks agree that ranked choice voting is best deployed in situations where there are more candidates in a race um, and there are more people to choose from. Agreed. Agreed. And and while we're not pundits, it, it would be interesting to think about would any of these results have changed with ranked choice voting? My sense is with the mayor's election, probably not. But um, I'm sure we'll hear more about all of these kinds of election reform. And I mean, with the way our voting system works, we won't have another municipal election for four years. So there's time to kind of figure all of that out. Who knows what episode of this podcast we will be on in four years when we do our next municipal election podcast. Well, I think that that's a a pretty good place to to end it on the municipal election results. Anything else going on uh, at the state that you're watching, Blair? Well, I think I was watching up until about Tuesday. So um, Some really, I think, great, great news coming out of the governor's office earlier this week when the governor vetoed um, House Bill 1190, which was the right of first refusal bill, which in summary um, gave municipalities a right of first refusal when apartment buildings were being sold. There's a lot more detail that goes into it, but um, certainly this was introduced in the House as an effort to increase the amount of affordable housing, maintain existing affordable housing stock. I think that the business community and various other industries Industry groups 
um, and clients, et cetera, all were extremely concerned about the chill that this would have on um, new development as well as sort of the valuation of existing stabilized products. So um, I had a number of clients say that had the governor not vetoed it, they would have stopped investing in the state of Colorado. So overall, I think this is good news. I think the lesson and the takeaway here is that we need affordable housing. There are solutions. And I think really it's a call on the private sector to get involved and to, um, to help our elected officials, both at the state and the municipal level, craft solutions that work for everyone. And, and this includes people who, who need the housing, super important, and also people who, who build, develop, own, and operate the housing because it's an important part of the economy. Yeah, I certainly heard all the same things that you heard from uh, the clients that I work with. All of them were were nervous about this bill. And uh, I think the fact that it made it to the governor's desk is indicative of what you just said, that it's it's important for all of us to get involved really early on in the process and help folks understand what some of these measures that are purported to address the affordable housing concern in the state, which I think we all agree we'd like to see addressed in certain capacities, but sometimes certain measures that are styled as pro-affordable housing actually may do the opposite. And we can help explain that to not just our elected officials, but also you know our peers in the community so they understand what will and won't work to address the affordable housing situation in the state. It's all these issues are interrelated. Affordable housing certainly played a role in the municipal election. Um, you know, it certainly plays a role in the discussion about uh, homelessness in the city. And I think that it's something that we all agree we can do better with. But how and who are going to come to the table and work towards those solutions are those are really important topics and certainly something that I think we will probably record many podcasts in the future. No doubt. Well, I'd call that a successful first seven podcasts now that we've concluded uh, this one. But there's lots more to talk about. We will talk to you all again soon. Yeah. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit BHFS.com for more information.